Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. As a traveler, it's a fact you're going to need to manage your spending in different currencies. You need a service that not only helps you send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, but also does it without the hidden fees or exchange rate markups. This is where WISE comes in. WISE is the easiest way to connect all of your finances internationally. I've been a customer for over a decade. It's been a lifesaver for me as a traveler, a nomad, and now a permanent resident abroad. If you're a traveler who's still using your regular bank, you need to check this out. Join 16 million customers and learn how the WISE account could work for you by downloading the app or visiting wise.com slash travel. That's wise.com slash travel. Thank you to WISE for supporting today's show. This episode of Zero to Travels brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. This is the million dollar question when you're planning a trip and you need to fly. When should I book my flight? When is the best time to book a flight so you can get an affordable flight, you can get the best deal? And it can be hard to know. Things are always changing. And I usually love to create episodes that are more evergreen in nature. You could listen to them two or three years from now and they can still benefit you. But I thought for this, given that we had a, a chance to talk to somebody who had data-driven information after analyzing millions of traveler and airline data points from a third-party company to figure out when the best time is to book a flight in the coming year, I thought that was a no-brainer because that's the whole goal of this show, to help you fill your life with as much travel as you desire. And if you can afford more travel, you can travel more, of course. And so that's why we have Christy Hudson here from Expedia. She's going to share the ultimate cheat sheet for saving on travel in the coming year based on their 2024 Air Hacks report, which includes tips like when you should book a flight as in what day of the week is the best day to book, how far in advance should you book international flights versus domestic flights, and on and on. We really dig into this report, and I'm so excited to bring you this show. On top of that, of course, we get into some other stuff. Christy talks about her accidental career. I'm always fascinated by accidental careers in PR and a whole wide range of other topics and things related to this report that haven't been published anywhere. So, Get ready to dive in and learn how you can get the most affordable flights in the coming year. Let's do it. <laughs> Buckle up, strap in. Thanks for being here. And welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey, it's Jason here with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show, my friend. <laughs> Thanks for hanging out, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience I see today's episode as a bit of a piggyback. We did our Destinations Week recently, actually last week. It was all about upgrading your bucket list. And I thought, well, this one 
ties in nicely with that. Okay, you've gotten the inspiration and the motivation for figuring out perhaps which destinations you might want to visit in 2024. Now we're going to help you figure out the best time to book a flight in 2024 based on actual data and trends, really millions of data points. And that's what we're here to learn today together. And so I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope you get a ton of value out of it. I certainly did. And I mean, it's just no brainer stuff to try out, right? We want to get affordable flights. If we can get more affordable flights, we can travel more. So why not? Also, stick around on the back end. I want to give a shout out to somebody in this listening community who they were they weren't happy with the three to four trips a week and so they decided to ramp it up and they did something gutsy and I'll share that story I love to share these community stories speaking of which you are a member of this listening community as well I'd love to hear your story or just drop me a line and say hi jason at zero to travel.com is my email and you can always leave me a voicemail as well. I love to get those. I have a link to my voicemail box in all the show notes. And one last thing, zero to travel.com slash newsletter. So you can get all the latest episodes, travel tips, destination stuff, musings, all kinds of, you'll never know what you'll find. A picture of me dressed as the clown that was in a recent newsletter. <laughs> so really, you never know what you're going to find over there. Sign up for the newsletter. It's free if you want to stay in touch. And thank you for being a part of this listening community. You're truly appreciated. And I hope that this episode provides a lot of value for you and enjoy the chat. I'll see you on the other side. Cheers. I love that you have a couple fenders hanging up on your, on your wall. I wish that I could, I wish that they were mine, but this is my husband's room. Oh yeah, is he is he a musician? He is. I mean, not in his you know day job. His day job is you know tech stuff. But yes, his hobby is, and then he gets this one room. This oh, wait a minute, room. do you get it? Do you get a hobby room, Christy? I think the whole house is my house, and then this <laughs> is his room. <laughs> I love it. That's like, uh... I don't know if you're married, but that's that's how it goes. I am. And you know what's funny? We have the same exact arrangement. <laughs> we have the same arrangement. The same exact I see. Yeah. It's just how it goes. I have my uh, office up here in the loft and then she gets yeah, free reign on, you know, on everything else. I think it's generous personally that we <laughs> give you one room. You know, <laughs> I, I think that that that's plenty generous. Then Absolutely. The, the mom and the kids get the rest of the house. How many kids do you have? I have two. One is seven, and the he's a boy, and then the younger one is girl, and she's four and a half. What about you? Nice. Seven, who's the girl, and five, who's the boy? Yeah. It's just, it's kind of fun. I feel like it was chaotic like about a year ago. I don't know, four-year-old girls or something else, but you're already past that now. Um, but now it seems pretty fun. They're They're good buddies. What about yours? Yeah, I mean, well, if you were just at our dinner uh, about 30 minutes ago, you you would have <laughs> probably said something different. <laughs> but we're not here to talk about our insane family dinners, or at least my insane family dinners. We're, we're of course, here to talk about air hacks, among other things. So I should formally welcome Christy Hudson to the Zero to Travel podcast. Welcome, my friend. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely excited to have you. 
I was wondering why you studied sociology. Like, how did you go from sociology to PR? Oh, gosh. Were you looking at my transcript? Were you looking at my yeah. GPA? Yeah, that's what I do. I, yeah. I hire a private detective before every interview, <laughs> and then we, we go deep. Christy, no. <laughs> I'm really alarmed. Um, I, you know, when I was in college, I was not lucky enough to have a vision for what I wanted to do with my life. I know some people do. Um, I have plenty of attorney friends. I think they were born wanting to be attorneys, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I ended up in sociology purely because it was interesting to me. I think and I hope no sociology majors or professors are out there listening to this, but um, it seems like the study of people, like trying to understand how society works, why people do the things they do, what happens when people live in cities. Like It was just interesting. So that was it. And then I ended up in marketing completely by accident and ended up in PR almost completely by accident. And I've been now in that accident for over a decade and I love it. So. <laughs> Why do people do the things they do? Do you have the answer to that question? After that? <laughs> <I'm> kidding. <laughs> I think habit and you know inertia. Let's just call it that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm curious when you say you accidentally fell into PR. I'm always curious about how accidental careers happen in people's lives, and I'm just wondering how that unfolded for you. I had a friend who worked at a PR agency and I needed a new gig and I ended up talking to her and she connected me with someone who was looking for somebody who had kind of marketing project management experience. And somehow I talked my way into that job and it was working for Xbox at an agency and it was working for the international PR side of it. So I got to work with people in all different countries. Um, I already loved to travel at that point, but I got to travel for work, which is just the best thing ever. Um, and so I got to go to Germany and Tokyo and China and all sorts of different places. And I think doing PR was a bonus to all the travel related stuff. So I did that for a few years. And then I saw a posting for a job at Expedia and that just blended the travel and PR thing perfectly. And I've been here now for almost seven years and I don't intend to leave unless they make me. So um, <laughs> that's kind of how I ended up here. You love being around travel, obviously. It's not, this is not just a career move. It's just sounded like travel was a part of your life before this. Did you, did you fall in love with it when you were doing the job and starting to travel internationally through the job or were you traveling internationally beforehand or family trips or like where did you kind of get bitten I suppose I did not have the means to travel when I was younger um our family vacations were mostly you know camping trips places you could drive to I think the first time I was ever on an airplane I was you know maybe 6 or 7 going to that one Disney World trip that every family kind of saves up and takes um, and I remember getting my little Delta wings at that time. Um, and then when I got to college, I was taking Italian aggressively, just hoping that that would manifest like a trip to Italy or something. And eventually, I remember the first time I was ever on a plane to go to Europe, it was for work. 
I was going to Paris and I went there a couple days early before the conference started because, and I had a friend of a friend of a friend who lived in Paris and he picked me up from the airport and he proceeded to take me around on the back of his moped around Paris. And I literally was like, this is a Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen movie. Like I am obsessed. (laughs) This is a dream. It was the best, you know, whizzing by like the Arc de Triomphe and on, on the back of a moped. Um, and then from then on, I, I couldn't get enough. So then I spent, I found some friends who were able to travel with me and we spent a few weeks in Europe. And then every work trip that I could take, I would try to arrive early and stay late and just kind of get the most out of all of those free tickets. Um, and now I'm lucky enough that I get to talk about travel all day for my job. It's kind of the best. I know. We, we are lucky. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. It sounds that, like that was the, the moment, being on the back of the, the moped, driving <laughs> around and being like, that kind of made you start to prioritize the travel aspect of your job. Like you said, like extending the stays and things like that, it sounds like. that. Yeah. And you have to be a little brave, right? You got to try and figure it out on your own. I got there and my cell phone didn't work because I didn't know anything about how to make international plans work. And I couldn't find my hotel for hours in the rain walking around Paris. So I took the metro the wrong direction before I took it the right direction. So I basically did everything wrong that you could do. Um, But it was still one of the best experiences. And I learned a lot. And you tend to have those, the, the kind of hard stories or the bad stories end up being some of the fondest part of your trips in my experience anyway. Yeah, you have to take your travel lumps, I guess. Everybody has to take them. But that that's when for me, I've said this on the show before, for me that that's one of the big self-realizations is you realize how resourceful you can be on your own. I feel when you're when you're kind of out on your own, you're making all the decisions and trying to figure things out and you you eventually do figure them out, right? You realize, "Oh, I can actually at least for me it gave me confidence. Well, I can figure these things out even though they're some of these things are maybe things I was I would have doubted I could figure out before. (laughs) Absolutely. You get a lot of confidence. And I've also had more experiences than not. I've been very lucky to encounter nice people in in my travels. When I was lost on the streets of Paris, several Parisians stopped to try and help me figure out where to go, which, you know, is just the opposite of what people always tell you about, you know, people in Paris. So having your own experiences um, can sometimes restore your faith in humanity too. I just think there's far more positives than negatives. Having had work and travel for you so intertwined and, you know, working for Expedia, of course, even more so than just traveling, selling uh, whatever widget or whatever, you're actually in the travel industry. I was just curious, what has been just gut reaction, like the best travel related perk you've ever experienced while working for a company? I think I would have to say just the unexpected things that happen in a work trip. I've been to Tokyo a couple times for work. I've never been for pleasure, which I fully intend to go back as soon as I can and explore more of Japan. But, um, but in Tokyo, you know, you're supposed to go to the conference, do your job, go to the work dinner and then rest before the next day. But the rest part never really happens because you just have to take advantage of those off hours. So, um, you know, ending up at a karaoke place until eight in the morning when you have to leave on an 11 a.m. flight, like 
these are just things you got to jump on. Um, (laughs) Those are the memories I have. I think for me, anytime I get to travel for work, whether it's inconvenient or a really quick trip, um, I was in Birmingham, Alabama for like 48 hours, which is a long way from Seattle, but you just take advantage of it. Eat a good meal, see the city, chat with some locals, like get the most out of it. Do you remember what you sang at that karaoke bar? Uh, what didn't we sing? I mean, we had to have been there for six hours. So, um, I mean, you must have a go-to karaoke song. Everybody has a go-to. Yeah. I, I'm really into the, you know, the, the female singers got some Cheryl Crow in the mix. Um, some Fiona Apple. Those are probably the go-tos. What about you? What do you sing? Nice. Uh, used to be getting, getting jiggy with it, but then, you know, (laughs) The whole Oscar slap thing happened. So I'm, I'm not sure. I haven't been to a karaoke bar <laughs> oh, that since. Was, oh, Maybe that was when to... <laughs> you were like, never mind on that one. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I mean, I remember being in Portland, Oregon at a Chinese restaurant doing karaoke, doing that song, got everybody out of the seats, doing the running man. It, it, it has the magic. So <laughs> I don't know. My, my stuff to be my go-to. Um <laughs> <laughs> I think people are also want to hear about this air travel hacks report, of course, which is, you know, one of the big things we're going to cover today. And there are some compelling questions that you have answers to based on the data in this report. Like what is the best day to tr- book your flight? When is the best time to travel? Kind of the sweet spot and, and based on data and for the coming year. And one of the core missions of this show is to help people add more, as much travel and to their life as they desire. So that to me is where the intention behind this episode is if we can get more affordable flights and kind of hit the sweet spots, not that it's right every time, then people are going to be able to, to you know, to travel more, of course. I feel like it's important with this, this is no offense because you're the head of PR at Expedia. So totally respect, but just the, the idea of uh, the data from the report kind of want to dig into where that came from, what it's based on. I think that's important because, well, you know, we know history and how reports have come out on other things. We want things. you to be able and to yes, trust it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 100%. Can you talk a little bit about, yeah, the validity of the report for listeners? That's just, that's my job. I'm just doing my job here, Christy. I am not offended <laughs> in any way. Um, yes. So here's the great thing about this report and why you can trust it. It's not um, a bunch of cherry-picked Expedia data that we're providing to you with the end goal of getting you to do something. Um, Would we love if you considered Expedia for your next trip? Sure, of course, whatever. But here's what the data is all about. So we work with a third-party company, actually, on this report. They're called the Airlines Reporting Corporation. And they are unaffiliated with Expedia. They're actually affiliated with airlines. And what they have is access to almost every single ticket that is sold globally for every airline. They don't want me to say every, but it's pretty close to every. Yeah, right. Not Maybe not like the smaller budget airlines, but all the major airlines. Yes, every major global airline, almost all the tickets that are sold, that's the data we're looking at. So we're looking at billions of data points and actually booked and flown flights. So There are other brands, other companies that do reports like this, that try and kind of hack the best day of the week to travel and all that, all that stuff. They're looking at, you know, maybe a set of like 4,000 flights and they're looking at search data versus booked data. So it just doesn't really compare. 
Um, it's why we've been doing this report in partnership with that company for over a decade, because we we like that it's so impartial and so complete in terms of what we're looking at. So when we find that on average travelers save by booking on a certain day of the week, you can trust it because it's not it's not fabricated. It's based on actual booked flights. Okay, yeah, and and that includes the the pricing and everything associated with with those booked flights. Yes, right? That's where you get all that. Okay, yeah, average Thank ticket you. prices, how far in advance people are booking, um, international versus domestic, all sorts of things. And we look at this for not just the U.S. Um, you can find reports on how it works if you are in France purchasing a flight from France to somewhere else. We do it for ten different markets, so it is really comprehensive, and there's a bunch of great tips. Yeah. Okay. I know a lot of the stuff covers sort of flying out of the States or domestically in the States. Not that we have to get into that now, but if you're able to give us any insight into some of the other stuff, because we have a pretty global listening audience, that'd be, yes. that'd be great. Yeah. I think towards the end, we can we can flip to some of those other ones, other markets. We'll get back to the interview in just a moment. This episode is brought to you by US Bank. Recently, I went out for tacos and it wasn't even Friday. Yes, we have Taco Friday in Norway, not Taco Tuesday. Well, more importantly, I could have earned rewards for every scrumptious bite of those chorizo soft shells. Introducing the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Earn four times points when you go out for dining or order takeout and restaurant delivery, including tacos. Plus, you can earn two times points when you shop for or order your groceries, two times points when you need to fill up or charge up at gas stations and EV charging stations. You're even rewarded with two times points just for your favorite streaming services. Go to usbank.com slash altitude. Go! To learn more about how you can earn 20,000 bonus points worth $200 if you spend $1,000 in the first 90 days of opening your account. Win big with the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Visit usbank.com slash Altitude Go to apply. Limited time offer. The creditor and issuer of this card is U.S. Bank National Association pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc. Some restrictions may apply. This episode of Zero to Travel is presented by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. From muddy jungle paths and snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has the capability to take you to some of the most epic destinations on Earth. We're excited to partner with Nissan because our listeners know we love to celebrate the joy of exploring the world and finding the best off-the-beaten-path destinations to visit. And there's no better vehicle for that than the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys, and it even has the best towing capacity in its class, up to 6,000 pounds, so you can bring the fun with you. But Nissan also knows that it's not just about where you go. In a Pathfinder, the real fun comes from getting there, and that's something we love celebrating here on the Zero to Travel podcast. We believe that life is about finding that joy within the journey itself, and that's why We're thrilled to partner with Nissan to celebrate adventurers everywhere. So thanks again to Nissan for sponsoring this episode of Zero to Travel and for the reminder to chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Now, back to the show. Yeah, one of the things I really like too is that at least when I was looking at the citations on the report uh, and some of the some of the stats you were sharing, a lot of it was based on these 2023 numbers, and I think that's good because the, you know the numbers that are based on 20 
2020, 2020, the pandemic time, it's just not going to be, I feel, as accurate of a predictor, let's say, You're of what's so coming. Right. I mean, I've worked for Expedia since 2017. And it used to be we could just do year over year and kind of see, and everything was kind of the same. But then obviously 2020 threw all of that um, out the window. And so you'll hear a lot of times we're comparing things to 2019 a lot because that was the last time it was quote unquote normal in the travel world. But more and more as we get distance from it, especially in the last 18 months, um, this is the new normal, right? So we're looking at, you know, we're looking at 2023 data, which really reflects kind of the latest fluctuations, all the different fuel prices, economy, like all the stuff that's been happening um, and we're looking at 2022 and seeing a lot of the same trends. So it, it's, it is starting to feel like we are at a place where there is a new normal and we're moving towards something that feels more constant in terms of air travel. Cool. Yeah, I appreciate that. It seems like a really solid baseline from which to operate in terms of the data points. The ticket prices then, uh, we'll start with, I think that's a, just a good overarching question. Are they going up or down in the coming year based on the data you have access to? Yeah, they're starting to stabilize. So that's the good news. Um, you're still going to see seasonality impact ticket prices more than anything. Um, so summer, the holidays, those couple weeks in spring break timeframe, if you're in the US, um, those are going to be the priciest times to fly. That seasonality piece isn't going to go anywhere. And especially when you look at particular destinations that have remained popular throughout the pandemic throughout the last couple of years, like Mexico, for example, those ticket prices are remaining pretty high, um, but they're not continuing to climb, right? We're seeing like them stabilize year over year. So we're not going to hopefully continue to see 2022 patterns where things just kept on escalating. Um, airlines, a lot of this has to do with demand, but it also has to do with airline capacity. So the number of seats available on airplanes has been lower than pre-pandemic because a lot of routes were, you know, put down, um, haven't been resurrected. Um, there is there's staffing issues, there's pilot shortages. So there's some components of airlines can't fly as many flights as they were previously. So with demand accelerating past 2019 levels and fewer seats available, that's where the price crunch is happening. And that's why people can, why the airlines can charge more. Um, because the demand keeps escalating and there's still not as many flights available. Right. I know this is not necessarily part of the report, but what is your professional opinion on airlines beginning to expand or should we say bring back <laughs> some of the, the previously jettisoned uh, flights? Yeah, well, they really want to sell flights. So that's the good news. Wherever people want to go and wherever they're seeing demand, that's where the routes are starting to pop back up again. So they're seeing a ton of interest in Asia. In Japan, for example, has just been triple digits year over year. Um, so you're seeing a lot of flights pop up for Asia. Um, a lot of Europe's been incredibly popular in the last 18 months since everything opened back up again. And people are taking those trips that they had previously delayed or put off. Um, so seeing a lot of airlines open up new flights internationally. Um, 
so yes, they're they're doing the best they possibly can to respond to the demand because at the end of the day, they want to fly more flights and sell more seats. Makes sense. Supply and demand, right? The timing of booking a flight. I think this is one of those things. This actually relates back to one of the poll questions you had. I know this is this seemed like it was a separate poll of travelers outside of the data you got from the ARC data. A majority of people found flying to be stressful. And one of the things they cited, at least according to what I read, was the the booking process too, because it, there is a bit of anxiety around, you know, am I getting a good price when, when you're going in? And, and no matter how many flights I've booked, you still kind of have that worry before you hit buy. You're like, eh, is this, you know, is this going to be, is this going to go up, down? So that being said, let's get into the some of the core data about the time when it makes the most sense to book a flight for let's go. I know we're talking about the state so we can go domestic and then international. And then I have a follow-up question. Yes. Okay. Let's get into it. You're totally right. Um, We did do a little survey to see what in particular people find stressful about air travel, because it's very clear if you've been to an airport or on an airplane recently, people seem a bit stressed. Like, Emotions are high. So we wanted to know what exactly was causing that. Obviously, disruptions, cancellations, delays, those are going to heighten everyone's emotions in the moment. Um, But a good chunk of people, around 61% of people, said that it was finding a good deal that just kicks off the stress when it comes to air travel. So yes, you're not alone. Everyone's worried about paying too much, um, overpaying. Of course, that could be subjective, right? Like a good deal can be subjective. Absolutely. If it feels like a good deal and you're willing to pay that price, get it. Like book it whenever, um, whenever it feels right to you. Um, I do have some tips for some ways that you can you can avoid getting overpaying at any point. But here's what the data says: for domestic travel, you want to book about 28 days out from departure. That's about a month out, and doing this can save you up to. 24% on your ticket price. It's a lot. I personally find that to be too late. Like I like to book things far in advance. So 28 days scares me, but this is what the data says. For international airfare, leaving from the States, you should book around 60 days out and no more than four months out. So this is different than last year. Last year, we saw like as far out as possible was when you should book your international travel, like six months, nine months out, like as far out as you can. Now, according to this year's data, people who booked more than four months out actually paid more than people who waited. So it's that two to four months window that's really optimal. You could potentially save a bit more by waiting until the very last second But I don't recommend that because you're going to have a lot fewer flights to choose from. You may end up on a bunch of layovers and connections. You may not be able to pick the seat you want. You're just going to have a lot fewer options. And in general, it's a bit of a like, it's just a bit of a gamble. So I would say that according to the data, two months to four months out, that's going to be prime time for saving around 10% and also getting the best availability for your flights. Okay. 
Yeah, when you were talking, I was thinking just psychologically or speaking of sociology, right? Kind of thinking about how people think. It's it's uh it kind of makes sense like you said, it cuz 28 days in feels a little too close for me too if I if I'm really wanting to lock something in and maybe that's because I have if I'm traveling with my kids, for example, or you you know, you want to make sure you're you're kind of set up, but one person's last minute is another person's this is early. It's so true. My I always talk about this with my my coworker because she is such a procrastinator. She's actually the host of the Expedia podcast. And we would always compare notes and she's like booking things, you know, four days before she leaves, which I just found absolutely insane. Um, I'm over here like it's November. It's not even November. And I'm planning like a February trip to Mexico right now. I just like to have things to look forward to. I like to have them locked in. But here's the tip for people like me. Um, and, and forgive this for sounding like a little ad, but I really do believe in this. It's called price drop protection. It's this added thing on the Expedia app or on the website. When you book a flight, you pay a little bit of money for this price drop protection feature. And if the price of your ticket drops after you book, you get automatically refunded. And you also get it for free if you're an Expedia member who's like gold or platinum status, which is what I am. And I've gotten money back from three out of four of the flights I've booked recently. So it's it's one of those things that helps if you just want to go ahead and book it and get it out of the way. Just add that, you know, it's not very expensive. It's a really nominal fee. Um, and you're likely to get that money back if the price changes. Some people might be wondering, well, what are the pros and cons of booking with a platform like yours or another versus mm. booking directly with the airline? Yeah. Well, you can do either, obviously. Um, you get the same prices, the same service, all that different stuff. Um, the the There's a couple of reasons to book with Expedia or a couple of reasons why it might make sense for you to book with a, a travel um, an OTA as we call ourselves. Um, and one is there are savings that come from, if you're taking a trip that involves flights, hotel, car rental, and you book that stuff together, it's called bundling. And we actually give you better rates. If you do that, we give you, you know, up to hundreds of dollars off on the total package. So that's something you can do on an OTA. Um, another thing you can do on Expedia versus booking direct is kind of use two different airlines to fly. So if you find a flight that's really great time-wise and price-wise from Delta going, but on the way back, the Alaska flight is cheaper and it's at a better time, you can actually create those split fare um, packages as well. So that, that can come with some savings. And then those other things like price drop protection, we try to make it worth your while, make it easier to save. No cons? None that I would care to mention, <laughs> Jason. Got it. <laughs> no, I, you know, I think there's like always... Like I said, just doing my job. No, <laughs> I, you know, I think the biggest thing is people worry, oh, if I book with Expedia versus, you know, is the service part going to be different? Am I going to get bumped from my flight? Something like that. Those are just straight up myths. We work with the airlines um, directly, there are very close partners. So you're, you're getting the same, the same product. We don't sell Southwest. If you're a big Southwest person, Southwest doesn't um, offer their flights through any other, uh, you have to book direct with Southwest. But other than that, you know, we have over 
500 airlines you can choose from. Cool. All right. I will just reiterate what you said. So 28 days before departure for um, domestic flights, at least in the States, and that's going to be a 24% savings on average compared yep. to people who book last minute or within or outside of that window, I guess. And then 60 days, between 60 days and four months for the international. But I think I, I really like what you said about, you know, if you, you see a good deal, it feels like a good deal no matter when it is. Just grab it. So you mentioned myths. And one of the things that goes around is that if you go to an incognito window, you don't track with cookies. That will keep flights cheaper, more stable. And if you search the same flight time and again, say an Expedia or wherever, the price is going to start going up because the airline or the OTA or wherever you're searching is going to see that this person really wants this flight. So we're just going to start raising the price. That's a myth, right? Yes and no. Is it a myth? Technically, I think so. But I know tons of travel experts, savvy travelers who swear by it. So I think if it works for you, if you've found a, a better deal after clearing, then you know what? Call it your insider go-to hack. And I've never seen evidence that it works. I don't think technically it's it's a thing, but um, but I know plenty of people who swear by it. So okay, fair enough. It could be like it could just be superstition or something. But if it works for you, yeah, go for and it. <laughs> you've manifested it hard enough, right. and it, it comes to you. That's like when my football team's playing. You know, I have to wear the shirt. <laughs> that whole day. Otherwise they're going to lose. Same kind of thing. And the socks and like, yeah, <laughs> right. eat right. the same things. Don't shave your beard. Yeah. Whatever you got to do. <laughs> Who's your football team? Philadelphia Eagles. All oh, the way. okay. Okay. Yeah. I grew up outside of Philadelphia, so that's nice. how it goes. Far away from Seattle. Is that, was that where you grew yes. up by the way? Yeah. Yeah. I've yeah. done some time in Los Angeles as well, but I'm still a Seattle football fan, as depressing as that can be some years. <laughs> All right. Well, the best, cheapest day of the week to book a flight. This one is a big one. And again, based off the data that you mentioned. So what, what is that day for everybody? Based on billions of data points, Sunday is the best day of the week to book your flights. So... This is the second year in a row, at least, that Sunday has been the cheapest day. Um, and on average, travelers save up to 13% just by booking on a Sunday. Friday is the most expensive day. Um, so truthfully, I, I think it makes sense, right? You get to the end of the week and you're ready to lock in some travel or something like that, whereas Sunday night's not, everyone's just like watching TV. No one's booking trips. So that's when you got to jump on it. Right. I like the idea of researching on Sunday anyway. It sounds like a relaxing Sunday activity. Yeah. <laughs> it used to be Tuesday. So Tuesday used to be the big day that was the cheapest to book your travel. And it was because I've always heard, and maybe this is a myth too, or it becomes like part of the lore of, of air travel um, hacks. But I heard that it used to be that that was the day that airlines released new fares, like happened on Tuesday evenings or something like this. Um, these days, it's much more dynamic. New new fares, new 
seats are being released all the time. So there's no, you know, one day that things are being uploaded for sale. So um, yeah, this is just based on, I think, behavior at this point. There's probably just fewer people booking things on a Sunday. So that's when you want to do it. Did you see any data on the amount of time you book, for example, a two-week trip or a weekend trip versus some people in this audience, they book a one-way trip or they, you know, gone for months or whatever. Have you seen anything related to length of trip? No, it doesn't differentiate by that. But I will say that one of the key ways to save on travel, especially around those peak windows, like the holidays, 4th of July weekend, it's going to be to be flexible with your travel dates. So, you know, you could book on a Sunday and plan to fly out, you know, do all the rules of this report. But if you're leaving on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, you're still going to pay a lot for that ticket. So it's, it's the flexible fare calendar that I think is huge. And I always play around with that if you looked at my family vacation schedule, it's a Tuesday through a Tuesday. Like we're not leaving Friday and coming back Sundays. Um, that's really where you're going to see a lot of savings. It's not worth the stress, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just come back whenever, you know, second grade is not that important. <laughs> we can just be gone. It's fine. <laughs> I know my kid's school just made this rule where you have to, even if you're gone for a day, you have to apply for it. No. It seems a little hard. That feels, that feels controlling. <laughs> Not big on rules like that. Yeah, me neither. Um, what about the best day to travel? Because you're booking the flight and you have the options of which day to go, of course. A lot of times that's going to be based on the price, especially when you're looking at the flex calendars and things. Generally, from the data, what is that day? Yes, midweek. Midweek is going to be the cheapest on average. So Thursdays, um, and then the most expensive day to leave is Sunday. So book 28 days out, book on a Sunday, leave on a Thursday. Those are your golden rules. You could save around, it's up to 16%. So I like to think that if you combine all of these things, you're basically getting your ticket for free. (laughs) That's how math works. (laughs) If only that were true. (laughs) (laughs) Did you have a percentage breakdown on, I, I guess probably not, because how would they know this business versus pleasure? That would probably be more of a poll oriented type of question. Yeah, well, we did look at fair classes, and you can get that whole breakdown on the full report too. Um, so, if you're flying, you know, premium versus economy, there were some differences. But the the Thursday rule and the Sunday rule, those are when everything's combined um, at what the results were. But That's part of why Sunday is the most expensive day of the week to travel, right? There's not probably not a lot of leisure trips that might be starting on Sunday. You would think those would start, you know, Friday night or Saturday morning to get the most out of the weekend. So the Sunday travelers, that's really driven by business travel, um, which is why those tickets are more expensive. Um, That being said, business travel has not rebounded to the point that it was at prior to the pandemic. So a lot of these trends are still, you know, they're being driven a little bit by business, but it's a lot of leisure travel that's driving these 
these trends. Hmm. It makes sense that businesses now understand how to work remotely a bit more than they did, I suppose, and that they become accustomed to meeting online and things like that. So it makes sense. Of course, huge cost savings when you don't have to fly somebody halfway across the country for a meeting. Yeah, <laughs> it comes with pros and cons. It's nice to be able to do things from home. Zoom is a great tool. We're talking from far away from each other, which is great. But but yeah, being together in person is nice too. We'll get back to the interview in just a moment. Would you love to have an incredible cup of coffee every day? I've tried it all. I've done the pour over. I've done the French press. But I tasted an AeroPress coffee many years ago. And immediately I was sold. I had to get one. AeroPress is a patented three-in-one brew technology. This combines the flavor benefits of espresso, pour-over, and French press all into one compact portable device built for travel or home. I love things you can use in both places. This device has over 55,000 five-star reviews in over 60 countries. AeroPress is the best-reviewed coffee press on the planet. I've owned one for so many years, I don't even remember how long it's been. And they are under 50 bucks so they also make an exceptional gift, thoughtful, proven, tasty, and travel-oriented. Who wouldn't love that? Now, you get 20% off just for being a listener of this show at aeropress.com slash zero to travel. That's aeropress, A-E-R-O-P-R-E-S-S dot com slash zero to travel. That will save you 20% on checkout. Thanks to Aeropress for supporting today's show. Hey, it's Jason here. Did you know you are invited to join the first ever Zero to Travel community trip? Yes, we're planning a trip together. We're headed to Morocco November 30th through December 9th. And you can get all the details at zerototravel.com slash trip. It's open for booking now. We have 13 spots left at the time of this recording. And you have until the end of March to book. So if you're interested in traveling with an amazing community, this community, a small group of people, on an incredible journey through Morocco together with me. Sign up over there at zerototravel.com slash trip to get all the details. Thanks for listening and hope to see you there. Now, back to the show. One of the things that stood out to me about the report was the going back to the stress thing and how's the actual travel day going to look like. This idea of flying before 3 p.m. I know the report says statistically you have a 50% higher chance of being canceled than an earlier flight, like delay or cancellation. 50% is huge. It's huge. I know. It's it's wild because I think a lot of people hate those early morning flights because they get stressed about sleeping through their alarm or you just get a really bad night of sleep. No one really wants to be leaving for the airport at three in the morning. It stinks. Um, <laughs> it does. But this is a really good reason to do it because a 50% higher chance of being canceled after 3 p.m., I would do a lot to avoid a canceled flight. Yeah. Yeah. It's always a drag when you have to leave at three in the morning, but then you have to weigh that cost with, you know, here where I live, the bus, the airport bus doesn't start running until five or something. Right. So the times I've had to leave at two or three in the morning, I have to take a taxi to the airport. And in Norway, a taxi is a taxi to the airport's expensive. It's like a hundred bucks, you know? So, yeah, then you have to factor that in, but whatever. Everybody's got their own personal kind of thing to deal with. I have to ask um, you, um, being an avid traveler, how early 
do you like to arrive at the airport when you're traveling by yourself? We won't factor in like the whole circus of getting kids to the airport, <laughs> but when you're just solo and you're traveling, where? how early are you getting there? Early. I'm one of the early ones because I just, I can read my book or fall asleep. I haven't had a lot of close calls because I go early, but when I've had that experience, it's awful. It's an awful feeling because you you can't get the flight again. The flight leaves and then it's gone. I'd rather just show up at the airport and dilly-dally and get a smoothie or a coffee or whatever, read. How about you? Yeah, I'm very early. I recently went to Palm Springs with some friends and I was texting them like, let me know when you get to the airport. And they were all like, we haven't even left yet. We're not even going to leave yet. And I was like, I know, I know. I'm, I didn't mean to cause panic. I just would rather be here, be done. I was even like carrying on. I didn't even have to check a bag. And I was still there like two and a half hours before the flight departed. <laughs> so a little psycho, but I'm with you. I would rather just be there. We, If we were flying on the same flight, we'd be the two people sitting in the in the terminal waiting for the flights, you know, before everybody <laughs> right. else got there. Feeling calm. I, I've definitely gotten to the Oslo airport many times where my flight wasn't on the board yet. Like they didn't have the gate announced because it was because <laughs> right. I was too early. Just like, whoa, okay, whatever. I know. Do you drive your crazy. family crazy though when you're like, we need to leave at, you know, 4 a.m.? No. Like I feel like my husband's like that. He'll be like, okay, we have a 10 a.m. flight. So that means we need to leave at it today. We need to leave 24 hours early. Like, I just feel like he gets crazier and crazier. <laughs> it's just not worth it. It's just not worth it. In my opinion, I, I get, you know, again, I err on the side of caution. But okay, destinations were a part of this report as well. You had some popular destinations and trending destinations. And this is, again, based off of actual flights purchased. This isn't necessarily trending destinations for this audience because everybody has their own interests, but based on flights purchased, there are some destinations that show up a bit more often, I guess, let's say. What are those? For U.S. travelers, the most popular destinations are New York City, Los Angeles, and Las Vegas. So not huge shockers there. Um, U.S. travelers are quite habit-forming. Let's say that. <laughs> we like to go to the same places. Um, but, you know, those are also, well, New York and Los Angeles are also very large hubs. Um, you can go a lot of places to Europe or to Asia from those two places. And Las Vegas is just one of those places that globally people love. Like It's an interesting can't place. Can't get enough of it. It's, it's an know. oddity. It's unique. You can't have the experience you can have in Las Vegas anywhere else. So certainly not anywhere else in the States. So yes, those are the three. And then for the most popular international destinations for the U.S. traveler, it's Cancun, Punta Cana, and Mexico City. So yeah, we got Caribbean, got Mexico. Um, I think what's more, maybe arguably more interesting are the fastest growing destinations. So for this, we look at year over year, what is seeing the biggest leaps in terms of searches. And that's going to be Beijing, Shanghai. You're going to see a lot of Osaka, a lot of Tokyo on that list. Um, so a lot of Asia. And in part, that's because these places really are experiencing a ton of pent-up travel demand. Um, I think 
if you know some, if you don't know somebody who went to Japan this summer, then I, I would be shocked. Like it felt like everybody went, but those are also places that had travel bans in place the longest. Um, you know, I think Japan only opened back up last fall. So it was delayed. You know, Europe had been open for six to nine months prior. Um, and China, similarly, the travel bans took a lot longer to lift. So it's all just pent up, everybody. And that's the cool thing, I think, about, about travelers. We've definitely seen, just to go on a little, just a little side tangent, how resilient people are in terms of travel. Like the second any, any place opened up, the travel demand and the spiking in the searches happened immediately. Like everyone was just sitting there waiting for the news. And then they're like, let's go. So (laughs) I just love that. I love that the first thing that people do when they can, when it became available to them again, was to hop on a flight and go see the world. So I I think they called it revenge travel for a little while, but I think that's a pretty aggressive term for something that maybe people just wanted to go there for a while and now they have the opportunity and it's like, I'm going to get that place. You know, (laughs) (laughs) I know. I always thought that was a bit of an aggressive term. Um, Yes. Pent up travel demand, excitement, pent up excitement. Let's go with that. Well, as a, PR expert, you must kind of see these these types of terms in the media from a a meta view, right? Yes. 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 <laughs> we like to we like to give snazzy little names to things um, in the PR and marketing world for sure. We got a little carried away recently with calling everything a moon. You know, like there's like a baby moon, there's a there's a buddy moon, there's a mega moon. I think I, we probably coined that one. Um, everything's a moon. Um, and yes, revenge travel became a big thing. It's, I don't know why we can't help ourselves. We also add vacations <laughs> onto everything like a friendcation, workcation, staycations. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you too can be a travel PR person. Just add cation to the end of a word. <laughs> what do you think the PR world could do better as a whole? Not necessarily in travel, well, maybe just in travel. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, yeah, what do you, what do you see? Where do you see that there can be improvements in the PR world in travel in the travel industry? I don't know if it's specific to what PR or travel. I I think what brands can do better is be transparent and realize that people are pretty savvy these days. They have a lot of access to information. They can kind of see through the posturing and I think driving trust, being consistent and trustworthy and being transparent are pretty huge for any brand um, because that's how I, that's how I make my decisions as a consumer, um, especially, you know, as we talk about travel, people are going to make a lot of decisions based on a lot of different things. Habit where they are familiar, what app is already downloaded on their phone, where they might have miles or points already. Um, Ultimately, you want to feel like you're getting a good deal. You want to feel like you can trust the experience you're going to have. And you want to be able to enjoy your trip. Vacations are not a, a small price tag item, right? People invest a lot of time and money. You may only get one a year. Um, It matters a lot. And I think making sure that what what we want to do is try and 
make sure people have a good experience, right? You want to be able to trust that you're going to have the experience you want and have and get a good enough deal that you can do it again sometime. So that would be the vision. Um, can we control airline prices? No, sadly. I'm still I'm still waiting for some to Mexico to drop a little bit. Um, but yeah, that's my answer. Yeah, I think that the the intention of this episode really is, yeah, to, to get people traveling more, like we said at the top. And, uh, you know, we're not saying this is a magic bullet, but this is based off of, like you said, billions of data points. So it's a good place to start, I feel. I, I, when I hear the statistics from this report, to me, it's a no-brainer to then go look for a flight on a Sunday instead of a Friday because, well, what do I have to lose? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <know? laughs> and I I promise I use these tips and they deliver and I recommend I recommend them to my friends and family. So, yeah. Um I stand behind it. Right. The uh you mentioned perhaps having some data from some of the other continents or areas of of the world from this report. I'm just curious because I know what you guys publish, but and you sent me the link to this, but I was really curious of what else was in the report that maybe hasn't been talked about or distilled down. I feel, uh, is there anything important missing or maybe some stuff that's more Europe or Asian based? I'm just curious. Yes, I can pull that up. And while I do, I'll share a more fluffy thing from the report. We, I mentioned earlier, we asked people what stresses them out and a lot of people, I think about a quarter of people said packing stresses them out the most. And they're worried they're going to forget like their passport or their credit cards or their phone or whatever. But um, a lot of people are really worried they're going to forget their underwear. Really? And that seems to be that- the thing that is keeping them up at night. So Is that right? And furthermore, we asked them... What, how was your approach to packing underwear? Just out of curiosity, like, do you pack, you know, one per day? Do you pack two per, you know, maybe like double the amount of days you're going to be gone? And before I tell you the answer, Jason, what's your approach to packing underwear? <laughs> Christy, I didn't know we were going to go here during this You know what, you uh, asked me about sociology <laughs> earlier, and this is my revenge. No, that's you. okay. That No, that's great. That's the one thing I, I'd say I overpack. <laughs> is underwear because that's the thing that you have you definitely have to do laundry for the most right you would think yeah <laughs> uh oh i guess you the report hope. says what otherwise yeah so i think for example <laughs> if i was traveling for 7 days i would bring 10 pairs of underwear 10 or 11 pairs of underwear something like that that feels solid yeah just because like not not overly crazy they don't take up that much room either you know, you want to have some flexibility if, if, you know, an impromptu swimming situation happens or, you know, a little exercise, you want to have some flexibility here. Well, apparently about one in 10 people just don't bring enough underwear because they plan to rewear them. And that is something you need to know as a traveler that you just might be sitting next to somebody on the plane who's just planning on rewearing that underwear. (laughs) <laughs> oh, well, come on. I mean, I've definitely reworn underwear. <laughs> well, now you're one, you're one of those people. When you're traveling? 
Yeah, I mean, <laughs> not, 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 first? not on a business trip. I mean, not, you don't always have the chance, right? But here's a trick if you just turn them inside out, they're clean. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, we now know one of the one in 10 people. And if you're watching this on uh, Reels or something, you can see my face turning red. No, I, I mean, <laughs> listen, sometimes it's in this, sometimes it happens, right? It's not intent. I don't go out to intentionally do it. But, you know, like you said, exercise things, this and that. Maybe you don't get to, to the laundry thing. You know, sometimes it happens. But then you have to be selective. You have to, re, you, have to you take, you might take like the nighttime underwear for the day or something. You sure. don't take, you know, something um, like that. I'm glad your intentions are not to, to start out that way. But yes, you're right. And I think we can all just agree that when you're traveling, sometimes the unexpected happens. And, yes. um, I appreciate a fresh pair of underwear. Let it be known. I appreciate a fresh (laughs) pair of underwear. Uh, I also wanted to make a PSA for everybody in that survey that was stressed out about the amount of underwear they're bringing. Did you know, fun fact, that you can buy underwear anywhere in the world? (laughs) You sure can. They sell it. And you know what else is great? A little Tide Pod action or like a little travel, travel Tide and a hotel sink. I'm sorry, but... And and now I promise we'll stop talking about. <laughs> that was a a ten minutes uh, tangent. These are on things underwear. people need to know. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, <laughs> where where do you want to go first? Do you want to talk about folks in the UK? Um, I just want to go where what catches your eye, what you find interesting or, or worth sharing. Absolutely. Well, I think that Sunday in general, still is the best book day of the week to book. Regardless of where you're flying. Okay. Yep. Wherever you are, Sunday is looking good for that. Um, You know, I think some of the biggest differences that happened in a lot of the international markets um, or the non-US markets are you need to book a lot further out. So um, even domestic flights. In the UK, it was at least five months out. Oh, really? That's a big difference in 60 days. Yes. Yes. Um, so that's going to be the biggest thing. you got to plan earlier. Um, the best day of the week to travel changes depending on where you are. It's Friday if you're leaving the UK. Um, the 3 p.m. travel before 3 p.m. to avoid cancellations, that's, that's a rule everywhere. Um, and that's just makes sense, right? As the day goes on, there's that trickle effect of different things happening. A flight could be late, you know, and it just kind of, you get that snowball rolling downhill effect. Um, I don't have any underwear packing differences in other places. Um, in the UK, people definitely still find doing their taxes and making small talk slightly more stressful than air travel (laughs) just slightly more that's making small talk we have a nation full of introverts apparently (laughs) i mean i mean granted i'm a podcaster but i I could make small talk all day stress-free that's with a wall wall. (laughs) that's my daily job no um uh, when i'm here by myself recording an episode no i i think that well gosh that's a that's up on taxes. I mean, I find that to be way more stressful than anything even remotely travel related. But again, I agree. That has got to be the most dreaded thing all yeah, year. Right. Let's go to Australia. People find 
air travel more stressful than doing household chores. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, because that can be relaxing. Yeah. I mean, I don't mind vacuuming sometimes. For Australia, you can wait even longer. You can be a procrastinator. You can book your flights two weeks out and be fine. So that's a good news for you. And yeah, and 3 p.m. holds for them too. So, and I think when you look at a place like Australia, you get some fun destinations in the mix. You get places like Bali, Bangkok, Sapporo, Japan. For an Australian, say going to Bali is the same as an American going to Mexico in terms of, you know, proximity and kind of, I think culturally it's, it's a place that people go, you know, whereas maybe the average American flying to Bali way, way further, way more maybe exotic in some ways because it's further from home. I don't know. I mean, it depends on the individual, of course. I'm in the circle. Like a lot of the people that I've interacted with have been nomadic or travel long-term digital nomads. So a lot of people have Bali on their radar because it's a very popular place to go in that world. But I think, uh, yeah, if we like to your report, the average Americans look at the popular destinations. You're talking about Mexico, Dominican Republic, Mexico again. <laughs> Those are the places. Yep. So it makes sense that it changes, yeah. of course, based on the continent you're reporting from. Yeah. Yeah. It shows people love a beach vacation for sure. sure. Um, and I can't argue with that. What would you think would be the number one destination for UK travelers? I feel like it would be somewhere because probably the same mentality as Norway with the weather. So it would be somewhere with a direct flight that's warm. So maybe something in the Mediterranean, like Greece or something like that, or perhaps the Canary Islands or Spain. I would have thought Spain too. It's actually New York. Really? And number two is Dubai. Oh, that's and number surprising. three is Bangkok. Really? That's wild. Yeah. Again, based on data, you can't argue with it. I, yeah. <laughs> I know. I love it. And that was uh, one of the, you know, the big reasons I want to have you in here is to kind of explain the background of this, of this report and where this is coming from. And based on that... It's safe to say, again, based on the numbers in the report, we nobody has a crystal ball, but this is reflecting what it was last year coming into the coming year. So take it for what you will, but I think there's a lot of actionable stuff in here and I appreciate you yeah. coming in to share it. Yeah, absolutely. This will be, this will hold for the whole year ahead and we do it every year around the same time in the fall. So you can kind of use it for your holiday travel or just as you're kind of thinking about planning the next year of travel. Um, but yeah, the hacks, hacks are great. I would love to hear feedback from people if they use them and find, and find success. Let us know. And I have one more question for you. You mentioned uh, people having a trip that they've been putting off. I was wondering what, what trip is that for you? Do you have a trip that you've been putting off that you just like, you know, it's about time I got around to this. Cause you know, we might as well use the end of this episode to set some travel intentions, set some travel goals for the coming year. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. I feel like the worst thing about 
working at a travel company is my list does not get shorter. It gets longer. Like every time I talk to someone who's gone somewhere new, it gets added to the list. Um, so my, my list is just so long. We've not brought the kids to, to Europe. Um, and we, that's something my husband and I used to love. We used to travel a ton. Um, and I just, I think price, the ticket prices are high right now. Right. So there's a little bit of a barrier there. I'm like, do they deserve, will they enjoy enough to merit the, the expense of getting them over there from the U S um, and there's also a bit of like, I, I haven't been back to Europe since pre-kids. Like, will it be the same? Will I get to do all the things I love to do when I'm traveling um, internationally with kids? And I know people do it all the time. And I'm a, I'm a quote unquote travel expert. So I should do it. We need to do it. Um, but yeah, that's that's the thing on the list. We're kind of debating between what kind of trip we might want to take them on. Um, they're great with beaches, right? So maybe it's a Greece um, or Spain type trip um, where we could enjoy it. But sometimes when we take them to city destinations, they're like, where's the pool? Where Where's the sand? Like, so they're just unimpressed. So I worry if we take them to, you know, the Netherlands or I don't know, somewhere else, they'll be like, I, I don't get it. Why are we in another place that looks like Seattle? What's going on here? <laughs> I understand where they're you're coming from. Yeah. But they're still, uh, they're still soaking it in on some level for sure. But yeah, no, I, I totally hear you. I may go through the same debates with my own family vacation planning, but we do know the answer to that question you just posed, which is, will you get to do everything that you would do on a vacation uh, to Europe without them? That's an unequivocal. No, <laughs> you will yeah. not get to do oh, everything. That it hurts. <laughs> 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 we do know. I was hoping you were going to really just bring me back to life with a lie. If you were looking for a motivational pep talk there, you're not going to get one. <laughs> okay, well, where's the best place you've been with the kids? I just think from mindset, from a mindset perspective, I've definitely learned to temper my expectations in terms of what we can do and just to be kind of happy with if we can do the one thing that we have decided to do for that day. A lot of the trips now have been going back to the States to visit family because I live in Norway full time. So it's really nice, I think, for the kids to know their grandparents. But we did spend over a month in Florida last year. And that was fun because that was the first time we'd spent a whole month in a house together somewhere. You know, even if it was Florida, which is a place I'm familiar with and traveled to, it's not as exotic for me, but it's still fun, right? You're seeing wherever you go. Well, it's fun to travel anyway, wherever you go. And I can find the fun and the excitement and travel anywhere. I really feel that way. But then, you know, with having the kids with us on those types of trips, it is exciting to see things a little bit differently, of course, through their eyes, but you just, you know, notice certain things you want to share with them. And I don't know, it just changes things, right? If I'm just walking down the street and I see a gecko, I'm like, oh, cool. There's a gecko. But with my kids, I'm like, look, it's a gecko. Look at this gecko. It's a, it's a head. Look at the way it moves. You know, you just kind of notice things more. It's true. It's I miss them when they're not around too. When I go on solo trips, um, no, that's so true. I we went to most recently. We went to Kauai, and that is always very well received. Um, oh my gosh, it was amazing. 
Although I was the most excited to see like the geckos, I think. Um, and the turtle. I saw a turtle and I was very excited about that. Um, so we had fun there. But the other really great trip we took this year was to Charleston, which is kind of a long ways from Seattle. Um, but my daughter just talks about these buttered noodles that she had one day at one of the restaurants to this day. I mean, just this is a girl who can't remember three days ago. And she remembers these buttered noodles. And it's just like, oh, I can't wait to go to Charleston again. And you know what? Those are those are core memories. <laughs> right. Do you remember the name of that restaurant? I do. It was called The Obstinate Daughter, which you is got. Oh, oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> are you making that up now? <laughs> I'm not. That's incredible. That's incredible. Yeah, on well, Sullivan's Island in Charleston. Highly recommend it. Number one travel hack and recommendation coming out of this episode. You have to get the buttered noodles at the Obstinate Daughter in Charleston. That's what it's I'm a saying. Must. It's a must. <laughs> Let me. <laughs> if you have a four-year-old who loves buttered noodles, you're going to love it. It's going to be great. Uh, I will throw one more thing because I, I did take a family road trip this past summer and we we went through Germany and Denmark and it was so cool to go to Legoland in Denmark, believe it or not. Ooh, so yes. if you throw in like a, it, it's, it's just different. It's still a theme park, but it's not as big as a, and as intense. And it's just, I don't know, it just had a cool vibe and there was something fun about going to a, a theme park in a new country and just you know, you still had the, the new country experience. We stayed at a campground. So that was cool. We got like a little cabin and you can do some Danish things, but then you have the theme park thing mixed in. I and, love you know, Denmark. Um, that sounds like a great one. And that's like the home of Lego, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, I saw the Taj Mahal built out of Legos. I mean, it's incredible what they can build out of Legos. So that's super anyway, cool. I know we're now we're veering off into like some kind of family travel episode or something. I'll, I'll cut myself <laughs> off right now. To, if you, I'm sure you have a million <laughs> experts for that, but I'm always game to talk about that too. I love it. No, I had a blast uh, just chatting with you, Christy. Thank you so much for taking your time to come on and, and share these super helpful tips with us today. Much appreciated. Yes, it was my pleasure. Cheers. There you go. I want to thank Christy Hudson for stopping by the show. You know, I loved hearing her story about the business trip she took where she fell in love with travel. Now she's got a career in travel. You never know when that next transformative or life-changing trip is going to take place. And I hope some of the tactics and strategies that we shared today will help you perhaps book your next transformative trip. Speaking of transformations and, and making big changes. I want to give a shout out to a listener in this community, Eric, who dropped me an email. Subject, thank you. Your podcast has helped solidify our decision. He said, Jason, just had to reach out, express my gratitude for the amazing podcast. Travel has always been a passion for my family, but our usual three to four big trips a year just weren't cutting it. We're constantly dreaming and scheming our next adventure for the past few years. My wife and I have been toying with the idea of selling everything, house, cars, most of our stuff, quitting my job and traveling the world with our kids. There were always a million reasons to hold us back and we found ourselves talking ourselves out of it each time. Now that our kids are at an age where they can truly relish the experience, 14, 12, and 10, we are simply out of excuses. We've decided to go for it. Around June 1st, once the kids finish their school year, we're off to explore the world for a year or more. Of course, there's a bunch of fear and doubt lingering in the background, but the pros simply outweigh the cons for us. 
Circling back to the point, your podcast has played a significant role in confirming our choice, and we couldn't be more thrilled. So thank you. Thank you, Eric. Thanks for the kind words on the show. I'm really glad that this resource was uh, helped you along the way, along your journey. But really, I mean, you're having the guts to do this. And I love that you shared, you know, there's still a bunch of fear and doubt lingering in the background. I mean, that's always going to be there when we make these big decisions, right? And I love to share these real life stories from listeners here because it makes me feel better. You know, when I'm making big decisions like this travel related or otherwise, and and that fear or doubt cloud is lingering, it's just like, I don't want that for other people, but it's nice to know that it's normal and that other people are experiencing that as well. And that's why I like to share these community stories here. So if you have a story to share or you just want to say hi, please get in touch. You know where to find me and I'll leave you with a quote now. Let's see this one from the quote drawer. Let me open it up, pull it out. We've got, uh, oh gosh, I can't read the name. My goodness. I need my glasses to read this name. Something's going on here. Okay. Yogi Ba Yan, who said, it's not life that matters. It's the courage you bring to it. Thank you so much for being here. And I look forward to seeing you next week where we start Wild Ways to Travel Week. Yes, that's happening. Got some surprises coming up for you there. So be sure to subscribe or follow the podcast wherever you're listening. Thanks for listening today. And I'll see you next time. Peace and love to you and yours. Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality.